morning. Good morning, graduates. It's exciting to have you here. You know, if we were going back about 200 years, these would be called the sinner's benches. And where Logan Maurice is, that would be like the biggest sinner. You would have like inviting the biggest sinners and you guys would sit back there and you put like the bad ones up front. But these are our graduates and we are so proud of you. We're excited for you and look forward to all that the Lord is doing in you and will do in you. You guys just, you rock. If you have your Bibles, uh, you'll want to turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, let me uh, go ahead and lift us up, the service up, in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for these women and men who have spent many years in grade school and middle school, high school. We thank you for the accomplishments, which are many, that you have wrought through them. We thank you, Father, for molding them into the women and men of God. Father, we are excited about their future. We are excited for them. We are excited to see what you do in and through them. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide their steps, that you would often bring to their minds and ours verses and truths that we have learned, foundation pieces of our faith to guide their path and ours. Father, do something mighty for your glory through each of them. Thank you for their parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and surrogate parents that have built into them, prayed for them, continue to build in and pray for them. Thank you for these family members and those who seem like family because of their care and love. And guide our time we ask this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. As I thought about what I would say, especially starting out, I decided I would give you 10 pieces of advice. 10 pieces of advice that you've never heard from mom and dad before, I'm sure. It'll be original with me. The first piece of advice is this. Seize life. Seize life. You know what happens when you're alone in the house? Nobody is there. You know nobody will be around. You're in the shower and you begin to hum and sing. Do you just kind of go low? No, you give it your all. I mean, you're divas and, and you're rock stars and you put yourself into it. That's what you ought to do in life. Vidal Sassoon, a name from way in the past, he made this statement, there's actually only one place where success precedes work, and that's in the dictionary, but it's not in life. 
Seize life. Go for life. Work at life. Be sold out for what you're going to do. Second, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. You know, one of the saddest things that you'll ever see in life is someone who is not being themselves in order to impress somebody else. Don't do that. Live out your values, live out your mores, live out your faith. Be yourself. Hold your values, hold your mores, hold your faith, and live them out for God's glory and your betterment. Third, if you want to be a great learner, be a great listener. You guys have done really well. You've gotten a diploma. I'm proud of all of you. Well, a few of you, maybe it's in a couple days. We're trusting you're going to get that diploma. But if you want to be a great learner, you got to be a great listener, and you got to listen to the right crowd. When you're with people your own age, have a blast. Enjoy it. Good, clean fun. But if you want to learn something, find someone double your age. Think about it. Double your age, their advice is sage. Don't go to your own age, no matter what age you are for advice. Go to somebody who is further down the path. Four, think to yourselves, what would mom and dad do? Ah, scratch that. (laughs) Think to yourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? You're going to see all through life people who are foolish. Some of them may be on faculty. Some of them may be employers. We're going to see people who are foolish in life. Don't follow them. What would Jesus do? If you go off into the workforce, you go off into school, you're going to see a lot of substance abuse. I have never in my life seen someone who is high or drunk that isn't acting like a fool. Not once. Not once. People who are drunk or high are acting immature, regardless of age. Don't be like that. Fifth, credit cards, they're not free money. (laughs) They're not. I want to read to you from Proverbs 22, the seventh verse. It says this, The rich rule over the poor, the borrower is the slave of the lender. Outside of a mortgage, you ought to pay off your balance every single month. And if you pay off your balance every single month, you will live at a standard of living 10 to 15% higher without increasing your income. 10 to 15% higher without increasing your income by not paying interest in life. Credit cards is never free money. Always pay off your balance or don't have credit at all. Six, if you're pursuing education, that's your job. That's your job. I ran these by one of my kids. And uh, this particular kid actually cut out number six, this one, and put it over her desk. Because I said in my notes, 
don't go work at the coffee shop, and this child works at a coffee shop. Instead of reading and studying, don't take the double shift, earning more than you need to. Your job is education. Seize your job. Seventh, you'll love me, parents. Call your parents often. Call them often. You will never know anyone in this life that loves you more than your parents. You won't understand that until you're a parent. But when you're a parent, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I cannot believe the love of my mom and my dad for me. It doesn't count, by the way, if you text them and you say, Mom and dad haven't heard from you for a while. Please send a check so I know you're alive. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Eight, guard your sexual purity. Study after study, I'm going to read some in a few moments, will tell you that intimacy in marriage is far greater than intimacy prior to marriage or outside of marriage, and it doesn't come with shame and regret. Guard yourselves. Nine, picture yourselves one year, three years, five years, ten years down the road. And then when you're facing temptation, ask, if I give in to temptation, is this going to help me to become that person that I need to be ten years from now? If not, walk away. And ten, eat from the five food groups when you're away from home. You need to... Eat from the cereal grain group, the meat protein group, the cheese milk group, the veggie fruit group, the pizza group. You need to eat from all five food groups. But take care of yourselves physically because mom's not there to pick you up when you are away. Now, where did I get my little advice? The truth is I asked some people and they gave me some suggestions and then I made some of my own. But these are 10 pieces of advice that I think if you follow them, you will go further in life than if you don't. Well, that was secular advice. Now I'd like to give us some sacred advice. And, and I've chosen from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is holy and pleasing to God, and which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may follow what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This is a great passage. And as you and I begin... The text actually begins with the word therefore. It's the Greek word un. And probably somewhere along the way, you heard the phrase, when you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. Why is the word therefore the first word of chapter 12, verse 1? The reason is because chapter 12, 1 and 2 is the fulcrum of the book of Romans. It is the point which has summarized 11 chapters that precede and five chapters that follow. Now, I want to tell you something about Pastor Jared. 
He's bossy. He's, he's 29 years old, but he's bossy. I really thought we could forgo this walking through. You did a great job, but if he had given me like an hour this morning, I could have summarized all of the book of Romans, but he said no. He wanted to see you all, and so I have almost no time to summarize the book of Romans, but the fulcrum talks about what precedes and then looks forward to what, what follows. What precedes? Romans 1 to 11. It's doctrine. It's theology. It's dogma. I know, it's kind of boring, right? Actually, it's the foundation. If you and I don't know doctrine, we won't know how to live the lives when the storms come and blow against the houses of our lives. We need the foundation pieces. So what are the foundation pieces of Romans 1 to 11? Well, it starts with really bad news. It starts with the fact that you and I are sinners. We are sinners because we inherited the sin of Adam and Eve. So we're sinners by birth, but we're sinners by action. I remember when my wife first worked with toddlers, I was in seminary and she came home and she said, if anyone doubts that we're born without sin, they ought to spend some time with a toddler. Then you are sure that we are born in sin and we are practicing sinners. And the bad news is we're sinners, but the good news is that that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to pay the penalty of our sin. He knew that the penalty of sin is death, so he went to the cross. He died as a payment of our sin, that if by faith we would believe in him and receive him as Savior, we would be given eternal life. That's really the summation of chapters 1 to 11. It's the foundation piece. And with that foundation piece, then we live out our faith. We, talk, we call the, the theology orthodoxy. We talk about living out our faith as orthopraxy, the living out of what we already believe. How would I summarize the first 11 chapters? Because again, Jared wouldn't give me all the time I wanted. I'd summarize it in Romans 8, 28 to 31. And we know, we're not guessing, and we know that all things work together for good, two conditions. For everybody, no. For those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. If we want to claim the promise that even difficult things, even hard things in our life, God will work for good, whether in a place of employment or a place on the campus, if we want God to work good, we're going to love God and we're going to be doing the things that God calls us. We're going to be living according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. This is what he wants us to be, conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. He declares us righteous as we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's what I want in my life. I want a God who is for us. Now think about this passage. 
It's the fulcrum. But in some circles, people won't read all of Romans. They won't read the doctrine. They'll just go to the, the practical session. Verses, or chapter 12 to 16, but they'll, they'll skip the doctrine. But when you go off to college, when you go off to work, find a church that won't do that. Find a church that will go through major portions of Scripture, that will give you doctrine, orthodoxy, and practical living, orthopraxy. Because you, I, we need foundation. We need to know about God. We need to know about salvation. We need to know about the centrality of Scripture so that when the winds of life blow, we don't fall apart. That's what we need in our lives. And if we know Christ, Romans 12 says, therefore, therefore, we ought to live in a manner that is pleasing. We ought to be people who sacrifice ourselves on behalf of what God desires. He says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service. Now we may say, well, that's great, but you don't know what my past is like. I'm not talking to the graduates anymore. You don't know what my past is like. Actually, all of our pasts have sin. All of us have moments in which we need to come back to the Lord, agree with him, which is called confession, and the power of God's spirit, we turn, we repent, and we move forward in his power. Yesterday is gone. We can't do anything about yesterday. But we can do a lot about today and about tomorrow, starting to live, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. It's so countercultural. I think of a song by Katy Perry. Can I cite that in church? Her 2010 song, Last Friday Night, there's a stranger in my bed, there is a pounding in my head, I smell like a mini bar, DJ's passed out on the yard. Is this a hickey or a bruise? That's not a song about honoring God with our bodies. That's not being a living sacrifice. It may be culturally normative, it may be what we see on the college campus or in the workforce but it's not what God desires. But it is what we'll see. I want to share with you a few studies. These are all academic studies. They all come from major universities. These are not pastors talking to parishioners. This is academia talking to the world. The first study, University of Illinois, found that 50% of college men and women had unanticipated sex because they were drunk, 50%. Canadian researcher Dr. Fisher in 2012 found that only 20% of college hookups occur during sobriety. That means three quarters occur when people aren't able to make wise choices. Half of the hookups occurred when the students self-identified themselves as fall down drunk or pass out drunk. Half of them. 
a University of Syracuse study, Fielder and Carey, 2010, found that 51% of women were totally drunk, 58% said it was impulsive, 80% said they regretted it the next morning. 80%. A University of Northern Iowa study, Eschbog Goot, 2008, found that three quarters greatly expressed regret the morning after for what they had done when they were drunk. These are university studies, most of which are in middle America. And Paul says, present, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual worship. I trust that this has been true thus far for many of you. And if not, we confess and repent. And I trust it will be true for you going forward. If so, well done. To committed Christ followers, he says, present or offer. It's an interesting word, peristasi. It actually is the word used in the Old Testament when you would go to the temple and you would offer a sacrifice on the altar. You see, in the Old Testament, as in the New, we're sinners. And so the final sacrifice, Jesus Christ, had not paid the penalty. And so they would offer temporary sacrifices, whether a ram or a goat or a bird. And they're always offering sacrifices. And this is the word used. But in the New Testament, we're not offering sacrifices because Jesus was the final sacrifice. But the text says, in light of what Jesus does, it's as though you and I go to the altar day after day and we put ourselves on the altar of purity, the altar of holiness, because that's reasonable in response to what God has done. In the Old Testament, when they put a sacrifice on the altar, it stayed on the altar. It was dead. The problem with me is I'm alive. And I get on the altar and then I get off the altar. And I get on the altar and, and I get off the altar. And when I get off the altar, I'm not presenting myself as an act of spiritual worship for the Lord. And, and I'm probably making poor decisions. I suppose if I were to ask us, how many of us are willing to die for Jesus? I think most here in Wisconsin might raise our hands. If we were in Egypt with 60 plus dead in the last couple weeks, Christ followers, we might not be willing. If we were in London with six dead and 40 very severely damaged, hurt yesterday, we might be a little more cautious. But here in Wisconsin, if I said, how many are willing to die for Jesus? Probably a lot would raise their hand. But Paul's not asking us to die for Jesus. He's asking us to live for Jesus. And that's trickier. Because that's moment by moment, day by day. That's when you and I decide, am I going to live for Jesus or live for self? And we have that propensity to crawl off the altar. And when we say, how many are willing to live? We want to know, well, what is it going to cost? What does it entail? How much do I have to do? What do I have to give up? And Jesus says, actually, I've done it all. This is just your right response. This is your act of worship towards me. 
In fact, he says that we ought to be transformed. Verse 2. He says Christ followers are to be transformed in our life. It's an interesting word. It's the one which we derive metamorphosis from. And you know about metamorphosis in, in biology. Uh, you, you guys get that stuff. I don't remember it anymore, but I used to get that stuff. And this particular word is a present passive imperative. And you thought you were done with grammar, but you're not. The present tense of being transformed means that we do it over and over again. In the Greek language, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek, when you have the present, it means iterative, it means repetitive. We are to sacrifice ourselves on the altar for the Lord over and over and over again. It's not a one-time issue. I told you it's a rare word, only four times in the Bible. Here, two of the other times are when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9. He's with Peter, James, and John, and, and suddenly his inner glory actually begins to shine externally. And Peter, James, and John are like, whoa, who are we with? And that's what God's calling us to be like. Not to be holier than thou, not to look down at others, not to be sickly, super spiritual. He's, act, he's asking us to live our lives as living sacrifices, to be holy, verse 1, to be transformed, that present tense, over and over and over again. The mission statement at Highland is glorifying God by taking the next step in one's relationship with Jesus. There's always a next step. There's always one more place to connect and grow and go for Jesus. That's the present. What does it mean? It means that when you go off to work or the academy, you leave Wausau, you look for a Bible-centered church, you find a Bible study, whether crew or navigators or inner varsity, you find a circle of close friends that are Christ followers, and together you go out and reach the world which is lost, and you do prayer and devotion. Not much changes. When you get to be my age, mid-30s, <laughs> you still find a Bible-centered church. You're part of a life group. You have an inner circle of Christ followers. And you have devotion and prayer. The present tense of being transformed, it's going forward. It's also passive. Passive means that it happens to us. That was the word conformed. Conformed was also passive. He said, do not conform to the world. Do not be, uh, do not be uh, controlled by the world. Don't be a marinette. Don't be a puppet. Seize the world. But when it comes to metamorphosis, there is a passive sense because we need Christ to do it in us. When you and I come to a, a temptation, we need to ask for the armor of God. Almost every morning, I pray the armor of God for myself and for my wife and my children and, and a future grandchild. I pray for the armor of God with shoes shod with the gospel of peace 
and the belt of truth and, and my favorite, the breastplate of righteousness and the sword, which is the word of God and the shield of faith to put out the flaming darts and the, the helmet of salvation, the assurance, all tied together in prayer. And, and I pray the fruit, especially Galatians 5.23, the fruit of self-control. You see, if I want to be transformed, it's day by day, it's present, it's iterative, but it's also passive because I can't do it on my own. And it's a command. It's imperative. It's not an option for Christ's followers. He calls us to be transformed. I can't wait to see the transformation in some of your lives. It occurs to me that for some of you, I have known you since you were three years old. Some of you a little less. And what great transformation. And I wonder what it will be like when I know you for 25 years and 35 years and longer. What is God going to do through you? Well, I'm going to close with a little video. It's about your faith not being kindergarten and your faith is not kindergarten. But it reminds us to press forward, to press forward, to never be stuck in one spot in our faith.